This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, it's 7.07, Monday, the 4th of December, and you're listening to The Morning Run with Keith Kam, Anwar Mabo, and I'm Wong Xiaoning. Let's recap how global markets closed yesterday. Well, US markets, Dow was up uh, 0.8%, S&P 500 was up 0.6%, Nasdaq closed up 0.6%. As for Asian markets, the Nikkei closed down 0.2%, Hang Seng closed down 1.3%, while the Shanghai Composite rose up 0.1%, STI was up 0.6%, and our very own FBM KLCI was up 0.3%. Okay, so a bit of this and a bit of that. Uh, So for more insights on where international markets are heading, we speak to Kingsley Jones, Chief Investment Officer at Jevons Global. Kingsley, let's keep the conversation in Asia for the moment. In a tale of two countries and their stock market, the Chinese CSI is down 10%. But yet, Japan's topic index is up 28%. So as we head into 2024, do you think this uh, that investors will continue to short China and go long Japan? Well, we, we think that the long Japan part of that makes sense. Uh, I mean, it has been a splendid year for the topics, up 28%. Uh, but there are still, we think, uh, many opportunities in Japan. So I wouldn't be out of that market uh, and we'd remain long. Uh, but for China, um, we've certainly not been short China, but we haven't been invested in China very much. The only Chinese stock we've owned for some years is um, AII Group, you know, that's the insurance group that's listed in Hong Kong. Um, but we're getting much more constructive on on China now, and mostly that's valuation. Uh, but the second factor, I think, is, um, you know, the extraordinary uh, strength uh, that China is showing in the energy transition-related industrial sectors like electric vehicles and batteries and so on. There's a bit of a soft spot right now, um, and certainly sentiment on China is very poor, uh, but we think that that is overdone, and therefore there's a buying opportunity. Um, uh, The present extremes of negative sentiment are are, are providing those entries. Our key names on the buy list uh, are really BYD, the automaker, which is listed in Hong Kong, Uh, Cattle, the battery maker, which is listed in the Asia market, and a number of other interesting names, like there's a minerals processing company called Sunresin, uh, which is very important for direct lithium extraction. So we're interested in companies like that. Uh, haven't really had big positions in China, mm. but in uh, 2024, we'll certainly add to it. And can I ask you about Japan, though? Uh, you didn't mention your top buys there. Are you like Warren Buffett? Are you a big fan of the trading houses? Oh, yeah, we have been all year. Um, mm. I think that in many ways that, um, that train's left the station. We still hold those names. But I, I don't think that huge uplift uh, that we saw earlier this year is going to continue. Uh, but nonetheless, um, you know, they're, they're well-priced and, and they're good yielders and we like the sector. Um, the main areas where we're interested now, um, some of the power companies, uh, we don't own any as yet, but J-Power is interesting. There's a lot of those Japanese power companies that have big hydro facilities uh, and they also have some nuclear plants. And people were staying away from that. I think because of nuclear was uh, perceived as having no future in Japan. But I think that's changing now. Um, And and therefore, there's some opportunity there. The other area is different aspects of the semiconductor supply chain. Um, You know, we've owned a number of names like Advantest uh, for a while and also the semiconductor maker Renasus. But uh, look, I think there's even more opportunities to come in that space. Now, Kingsley, most ASEAN equity indices underperformed this year, but with the prospect of bulls displacing bears next year, are there any Southeast Asian companies that look like good additions to a stock portfolio? Yeah, certainly. Um, we think that 
the big picture here, I guess, is that there's plenty of, of we think, cheap names across the ASEAN countries. Um, the big issue, of course, has been the macro drag from this period of rising interest rates and a very strong US dollar environment. Now, traditionally, what that does to emerging markets is you see outflows uh, of funds from global investors from uh, emerging markets. That's been quite prevalent in places like Malaysia, um, you know, where that market's really had no joy for some time. Uh, but that all starts to reverse once you see conditions improving as they are in the US. We think the Fed is pretty much done with rate rises. And as a result, you're starting to see the early signs of investor appetite to buy emerging markets. It probably hasn't started with ASEAN. Uh, instead, it really started with Latin America, with Brazil. But we think you'll see follow through now. So we're definitely interested in the semiconductor sensitive markets like uh, South Korea, uh, which you can buy with an ETF, mm. uh, EWI, or, and also um, Taiwan. Uh, but I think, you know, stick around, have a look at Indonesia, uh, have a look at Malaysia, have a look at Thailand. Kingsley, can I ask you about your, you brought up the Fed very briefly. What are your expectations for them in terms of the US non-farm payroll numbers that come out on Friday? Yeah, well, um, I think most in the market uh, are viewing the, you know, the current Fed rate cycle as being over. If there was a, a negative surprise in those non-farm payrolls, uh, you know, it's possible you'll see sentiment shift uh, to maybe another rate rise in the US. But we don't think that's likely. Nonetheless, I think at this time of year when liquidity tends to be a little bit low, it's probably best to wait out uh, this uh, coming payroll number um, before putting any large bets on. For the moment, I think we're just going sideways. Kingsley, uh, the rebound in base metal prices of copper and iron ore have supported major Australian mining stocks like BHP and Rio Tinto. Is the sky the limit for these companies? Yeah, look, we think that, um, and this has been commented on a lot, that the energy transition, you know, if you listen to the, the IEA, International Energy Agency and so on, they'll tell you that um, metals demand uh, for electrification uh, will be strong. And, of course, copper's front and centre in that. And then you've got the other metals like the battery metals, lithium and, um, you know, materials like graphite, nickel, cobalt and so on. Um, so I, I think structurally there's a, there's a really strong position there. But in the near term, people are being concerned about the China real estate uh, crisis uh, because obviously that affects structural steel demand and also demand for copper and construction, which is widespread. So, so I think we're sort of uh, wobbling around a little bit right now. Um, but our view is that things are improving. Um, there's probably a floor at least to the Chinese real estate um, uh, situation in terms of downside to commodities. Uh, but we haven't yet really seen the upside of strong demand in China, uh, with the PMI for manufacturing having come in at 49, which indicates contraction. So I'd really wait for the first quarter next year. But we definitely think from the action in leading names like BHP and Rio, where the stocks are bumping up towards their all-time highs, uh, that it should be an interesting show next year. And we expect uh, the onset of a bull market. Kingsley, uh, can I just pick your brains a little bit about the uh, uh, Aussie dollar, US dollar uh, levels right now? It's it's on the uptrend. Uh, we're looking at above sixty seven cents to the to the US dollar uh, current currently, and it's up, uh, I think, more than one percent uh, over the last week or so. What are your expectations? Like, are these levels a bit too too lofty with the RBA decision coming up uh, very very soon, and other economic indicators as well? I think it's all part and parcel of that improving global condition for better US dollar liquidity. So what I mean by that is uh, we said that in emerging markets, normally what happens is 
it's when uh, the U.S. starts to um, loosen up monetary conditions, that is to say, think about lowering rates, uh, that you get bullish on the emerging markets, particularly after a big rate tightening cycle like we've just seen. The Australia, of course, is part of that. <laughs> We're not technically an emerging market, but um, you know, being big commodities focus, uh, we do tend to follow nations like Brazil, uh, China, and also Canada uh, in terms of being leveraged and the currency uh, to commodities demand. So that Aussie pushing up towards 67 is a positive sign for the Australian economy, but we're not out of the woods. You'd want to see it well into the 70s before you really believe that a bull market was in the offing. And with that in mind, given what I said earlier, we're quite constructive uh, on the AE dollar. If we see one more rate rise, we actually think it could push through 70 cents um, because it won't be responding to possible Australian economic weakness. It will be responding to the view that uh, actually things are improving worldwide. Now, Kingsley, apart from Black Friday, retail sales might be facing a tougher period as cost of living pressures and high interest rates start to bite. Now, what are your thoughts on consumer-facing names like Wes Farmers and Harvey Norman? Well, you know, they have been surprisingly robust. Um, you know, I think a lot of people had expected, for example, um, Harvey Norman and indeed other names like JB Hi-Fi, which is very sensitive to consumer demand in electronics and other, you would think, discretionary items. You know, they've held up pretty well through this period. Um, so uh, to the extent that we've defied the doomsayers and we may be at the end of the rate rise cycle or very near to the end of it, uh, we're getting more positive, particularly on companies like West Farmers, which, of course, uh, is a big conglomerate. Um, you know, it has retail through, you know, Big W and um, Bunnings, you know, the hardware store and some other things like Officeworks and the like. Um, but don't forget, it also has a big fertilizer business and it has a, uh, a growing footprint in uh, energy transition related minerals like lithium that's bringing on uh, the Mount Holland mine in WA. So we think that West Farmers in particular is probably, you know, one of the big beneficiaries of this cycle once it really does turn. Uh, and we do anticipate that will happen, but probably not until the first quarter of next year. All right. Thank you very much for your time. That was Kingsley Jones, Chief Investment Officer at Jevons Global. Uh, wrapping up the conversation with his views on the Australian market, what to buy there I mean, in terms of consumer names and also the Australian dollar. Yeah. RBA is expected to make a, its announcement actually tomorrow. Yeah. We'll find out whether, <coughs> excuse me, whether they intend to hike rates or just keep stay pat for the moment. Now, uh, let's turn our attention to what's happening in the United States and looks like it's still the land of M&A because Alaska Airlines has agreed to acquire a Hawaiian Airlines for $1.9 billion US dollars or $18 per share. This amount includes the Hawaiian Airlines $900 million of net debt. Now, the question is whether regulators would approve this deal because we do know that President Joe Biden has kind of hinted that he's not very in favour of creating huge, big companies that will actually have a monopolistic position in the United States. Now, the deal is expected to generate high single-digit earnings for Alaska Airlines within the first two years with no anticipated material impact on long-term balance sheet. The combined airlines will be based in Alaska Airlines HQ in Seattle and it will be under the leadership of its CEO, Ben Minicucci. The deal comes seven years after Alaska acquired Virgin American, a deal valued at about $4 billion. And you're right, Shawning, about um, you know, the, the concerns about uh, the impact on consumers' choices uh, once huge conglomerates like these are formed. I mean, we've, we've seen these ha this kind of issues happening um, in Malaysia as well. I mean, 
just look at our ride sharing um, industry here. We only have one, literally, right? <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, like literally only one. Okay, so if you look at the stock, uh, Hawaiian Airlines is, of course, listed. So it's Alaskan Airlines. Let's look at the, the one that's going to be acquiring it. It's actually down 7.5% on a year-to-date basis. There's actually, what, uh, 15 analysts that cover this stock. So 13 have a buy, 2 have a hold. No sales. Consensus target price for Alaska Airlines is 50 US dollars and 36 cents. It was actually $30.73. That was the closing price on Friday. So let's see whether there'll be any interesting action when it opens later tonight. Anyway, that's all the corporate news we have for you. Up next, we'll be looking at the top stories in the newspapers and portals this morning. Stay tuned for that, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.